so it was March of 1863 when 18-year-old Charles Appleton Longfellow left his family home in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and unbeknownst to his family, he boarded a train bound for Washington, D.C., traveling over 400 miles down the eastern seaboard uh, uh, coast in order to join President Lincoln's Union Army to fight in the Civil War. Charles was the oldest of six children born to Fanny Elizabeth Appleton and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the noted poet. Now, less than two years prior to this, Fanny had tragically died because her dress, of all things, caught on fire. At the time this happened, her husband was napping. He woke up to find his wife ablaze. He tried to put out the fire by rolling her in a rug. That didn't work. So he jumped on her himself, trying to put out the flames with his own body. And uh, by the time it was extinguished, she'd suffered severe burns and passed away the next day from those burns. And he also, Henry, suffered severe burning, so much so on his face that he never shaved from that point on. And thus, whenever you see a picture of this famous poet, you'll see him with this long beard because he didn't shave because it just didn't work anymore. And um, um, he said at one point in his memoirs that that uh, he feared that he would be sent to an asylum because of the account of the grief of the loss of his beloved wife. Well, Charlie, while in this camp, uh, got a fever, most likely typhoid or something like that, and he was sent home to recover. While he was home recovering, the Battle of Gettysburg took place, and he, he missed that battle, and he rejoined his unit on August 15th. 1863. On the first day of the December of that year, Henry um, Wadsworth Longfellow received a telegram saying his son had been shot in the face and was severely wounded. Well, the telegram was wrong, but it wasn't wrong about him being shot. Charlie was shot. He had gotten shot in the left shoulder, and the bullet actually went all the way through his back and exited out his, his, his right side under the, under the um, shoulder blade. It was a severe wound and narrowly missing his spine, and narrowly missing paralyzing him. Well, his father was quite upset by this, as would be the case. So he and his other son, another son, Ernest, jumped on the train and went down to Washington uh, to get a hold of their son and to help him in his recovery. And talking to some surgeons, they told him, it's going to take him about six months to recover from this wound. And it was in that month of December, back in Cambridge, on December 25th, in 1863, that as a 57-year-old widowed father of six children, the oldest which which had, had nearly died in, in this civil war that Watsford, uh, uh, Longfellow, Henry Watsford Longfellow hated, that he, 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 he was sitting there and he heard the bells tolling on Christmas Day. And he heard them ringing and he heard the singing of peace on earth from Luke chapter 2, verse 14 in the Bible, and he observed the world of injustice around him, of violence that seemed to mock the truthfulness of this optimistic outlook. And he penned a very famous poem that we now sing as a Christmas tune, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And if you listen closely to the words, you can hear the words of distress and pain as he penned these words. I'm going to jump right down to the verses that begin to kind of express his... his uh, his uh, distress. Um, he said, Of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. 
And with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men, it was if an earthquake rent the heart stones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There's no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I have to admit, at this time of year, following this year specifically, I find myself relating to Longfellow's dilemma. There's no peace on earth, amen? There isn't. There seems to be more hate now than ever. There seems to be more racial discord than ever. There seems to be more strife than ever. There's still all this violence that's going on. And Longfellow does conclude, well, there's going to be a time of peace in the future. Christ's going to prevail. And I go, yes, and amen. But there's really no peace right now. There wasn't peace in his day, and there's really no peace right now because basically the world at large is at war with God. Do you realize that? And there can be no peace in such a situation. Until Jesus returns, we're not going to have peace in this realm. We're just not going to have peace in the world, so to speak. But we can, friends, have a peace that transcends understanding with God. That has been promised to us. The mess that Longfellow described in his day was the same kind of mess that Jesus entered into when he showed up into the world. He came into a world of unrest. Think about the situation that Jesus came into. A world full of prejudice, of hatred, of discord. It was a divided world. Are we a divided nation right now? Yeah, we're so divided. There's no civility anymore. There can't be any kind of seeming like discussion on any kind of issue without it degrading into something nasty. We can't get through, through hardly, hardly a conversation without it going south. I don't talk to anybody hardly anymore at all about politics. If you bring it up with me, you'll notice I'll just avoid it and walk away. You know why? Because it just goes nasty so fast. Everyone gets so offended so easily. We can't have any kind of civility and discord or discussion uh, without it degrading into kind of a discord, argumentative kind of moment. Amen? Do you agree with me on that or not? Yeah. I remember going back to family reunion. This isn't in my notes. I should, I should watch out. I'm treading where I shouldn't go. But it was years and years and years ago. I went back to a family reunion on my mom's side, the Sanderson side of our family. And now I'm a pastor, I'm a changed person, blah, blah, blah. All that. They don't know me. They don't know me from anything. They, they know me from when I was a kid. But right away, I had several relatives come to me and say, kind of set me straight. They said, in the, in the, in, for the sake of unity and for the sake of peace in our family, nobody can talk about religion or politics. And they looked at me. I said, well, that pretty much, I guess I might as well go home, huh? No, I'm just joking. I, I don't talk on politics, but when they talked about the religion, that pretty much... Okay, that's kind of what I do for my life, you know. And uh, in in the sake of having peace, they said, we just won't talk on that anymore. And that's kind of where I feel like we've gotten to as a culture here. 
is we don't speak into some of this stuff because it's so full of, of hatred and, and kind of discord. Well, Jesus came into this divided world. There was harsh Roman rule going on at the time. Think about it. The harsh Roman rule. There were the haves and the have-nots in that culture, just like we have. There were masters. There were slaves in that culture. There was this shallow legalistic religiosity that was being thoroughly rebuked by Jesus when he got older, this pharisaical shallow legalism and religiosity that was taking place, uh, there, which, in other words, it wasn't a true authentic thing. I hear one of the common things I hear from people today is, what's going on with the church? What's wrong with the church? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's this categorical kind of condemnation that, that the church isn't doing very well. Well, that's probably true uh, in some cases. In other cases, it's not true. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And so there was shallow re- religiosity going on at the time. There was disease. There was poverty. It was a mess. No different from what we experience today. No different from what Longfellow was experiencing in his time. And into that mess, friends, into that mess came an angel with a message to some shepherds in a field. And the last thing mentioned was that peace was available for those on whom God favor rests. A peace that could be experienced in present tense, not some distant, far-off peace like Longfellow wrote about, but a peace that could be experienced now in present tense in a world of discord, a world full of troubles. And as if to increase the volume of the message, and to, to emphasize how important this message of peace was, it wasn't just one angel that announced it. There was a heavenly host that joined him. It was like it got really loud. And they made this announcement found in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So this is the fourth Advent Sunday leading up to our celebration of Christmas. And on this Sunday, normally, we talk about peace. And that's what we're doing once again today. But I want to get into some of the nuances of it. I want to talk to you about what it really means. And so that we have clarity as a Christian community when we talk about peace. What are we really talking about? So this begins with this announcement of peace right here, our discussion today. Peace is promised at the birth of Jesus, right? Of all the things that the heavenly beings could have announced that day, They announce peace. Why? It's significant. We need to understand why. There's a lot of talk of peace right now. Would you agree with me on that at Christmas time? There's this categorical kind of romantic, kind of wishful talking about peace on earth. Uh, We watch a Rockefeller special. I watch that just because I was curious about what the Christmas tree now looked like that looked so bad a month ago. It looked pretty good, actually. But at any rate, um, you know, and they got all these people singing and talking about peace on earth. But you know what? We got to understand Christ's followers. We got to understand the peace proclaimed by the angels here is conditional. It's for those on whom God's favor rests. It's conditional. You can't take this promise out of the context that it's given in. It's simply not what the Lord promised. He didn't promise this categorical peace and well-being to the earth that's rejecting him. He didn't promise. In fact, what Jesus said was, I'm not come to, to bring peace. I'm going to set a mother against a daughter, a father against a son, a mother-in-law against a daughter-in-law. He said, I, I, I'm going to probably bring peace unrest and trouble in family situations 
over me and what to do uh, with me. And Longfellow longed for peace between the North and the South during the Civil War. Uh, and in the end, he said, well, Jesus will prevail. Jesus will prevail, so I find hope in that. But, but, but the peace promised in Luke is for us now. And it's for the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a present tense reality that we're to kind of step into and actually experience. It's not some ultimate thing that, well, someday we'll get to that point. No, it's something that we're to experience today. I read a lot of thoughts on peace last week. I had some time at home. Um, and one commentary I read really struck me. And when I use the word commentary, all I mean is this is a Bible researcher who has some insight on a particular subject matter. And this commentator said this about Luke chapter 2, verse 14. The point is that God's promise of peace is not for everyone. It's for those who have turned their hearts to him so that his favor then rests on them. David, in the Old Testament, gives us a clear picture of needing to be in the favor of Jesus when he stated the following in Psalm chapter 2, verse 12. It's a messianic kind of prophetic kind of word. Listen to what he says. He says, kiss the son. David says this now. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So in biblical culture, to kiss someone showed love and respect and honor and homage. They would do a kiss greeting and all that kind of stuff. You know, this holy kiss thing that uh, early believers would do with each other, which I will never do with any of you. All right. Uh, but even if there's not a pandemic going on, not going to happen with this boy. Anyway, just letting you know that. Um, but so when, when David says, kiss the son, he's saying, pay, you know, respect to and honor to and love to and homage to Jesus Christ lest you fall under his judgment. Take refuge in him and you'll be blessed by him. And so then the angels come and they make this announcement and they basically tell us what the blessing is that we get from the son. What's the blessing? Peace on whom his favor rests. That's the blessing that David's talking about in Psalm 2 verse 12. And the Bible never says anywhere that the ungodly or the world that's rejected Christ will be at peace. No, Jesus says, in this world, you will have troubles. Why? Because the world's at war with God. So there can't be a peace like that until things are made right with God. But then this, 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 this uh, commentator goes on to say this, and I love this. He said, the peace we have in God is due to the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, which soothes and quiets God and keeps us from his wrath. This is why Romans 5.1 says, we Christians have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't say in Romans 5.1, everyone now has peace with God because that's just not the case. So we got to understand this, Christ followers, speaking to you today, we got to understand this now. Peace begins with reconciliation between God and you through Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can truly have peace. It begins with reconciliation between God and you through Jesus. Once Jesus is born, this promise of peace is well on its way to being coming something that we can experience. Jesus marches to the cross. He walks the path God had ordained for him. And he completes the course set out for him by being sacrificed on the cross. He said it is finished. God's plan of peace on earth now is instituted. You can have peace with God through me. Amen? 
And that's, that, that's what we really, we just need to understand that because we all get caught up in the sentimental feelings of this time and we begin to sing songs like peace on earth. There cannot be peace on earth until there's peace with God. So here's what peace means. Untroubled, undisturbed well-being resulting from a restored right relationship with God through Jesus. Untroubled, undisturbed well-being resulting from a restored right relationship with God through Jesus. See, the peace being promised in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, isn't some kind of world peace that you hear, you know, a, a beauty uh, contestant at a, at a beauty contest kind of declare, you know, as they're trying to get that crown. Yeah, what do you want? Peace on earth for everybody. You know, that's not what's being talked about here. That's just wishful thinking. That's not what's being declared to us here in Luke chapter 2 verse 14. Um, it's being declared to you and I in the midst of all the turmoil that you're going through, all the discord and all the troubles of the world that's going through, you can experience peace. A peace that surpasses understanding. Thus, the message of salvation in Jesus Christ is often called the gospel of peace. Because in Jesus, we can experience a peace that we can't experience any other way in our lives. Because Jesus brings peace between fallen humanity and God. Now, peace on earth is one of those cherished comments that are made during this time of the year. Would you agree with me? You hear it talked about all the time. Talk about peace here, peace there. It's front and center at Christmas time. Um, but the concept is so misunderstood of course, by those far from God, but even by the ones who are among people of faith. Focus on the family uh, uh, had a writer who explained this misconception. Um, he said, to most minds, absence of peace is a horizontal issue. It's a result of people not getting along. We see that in our family all the time. Family dynamics, we don't have, we have peace and uh, we don't have peace, we have discord and stuff because those horizontal relationships aren't working. But also on a society level, you know, we have nation against nation, you know, us against China or Russia or whatever you want to pick for, for, you know, the adversaries there. And the thought is if we can just break down these barriers between people and nations, then we can experience uh, 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 peace, we can achieve peace. However, the problem doesn't begin horizontally. The problem is one of, of a vertical kind of nature. It's a reconciling needed between God and fallen humanity. And, and before Jesus is born, uh, Luke's gospel account records this purpose for his coming. It's, it's this vertical need for us to be all right with God. Listen to this. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. Jesus is about to come upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us into what? The path of peace. Now, here's where I want to talk to you from my heart for a few moments, okay? Because I, I really want to start clarifying what peace means to you and me, all right? Peace is better understood, I think, as a path to walk rather than a place to arrive. And we got to quit letting the world kind of define for us peace because it says Peace is about getting right circumstances, getting things aligned, having, you know, um, horizontal relationships worked out, having uh, goals and things achieved and all that kind of thing. That's not the peace the Bible says it's going to give to us. Peace is more of a path that we are to take rather than a destination we are to arrive to. Let me share with you an illustration. You, you know I like to hike, right? If you've been around this church a lot, you know that's one of my favorite hobbies we do all the time. Um, and so one of the things 
that Vicki and I are both wary of is going hiking and getting caught late in the day. Any of you ever done that? We've done that a couple times. And that becomes way more of an adventure than I want it to be. Because when it gets dark and you're in unfamiliar territory, you can easily get off the path. And usually you're in, if you're in the mountains or if you're in some place that's got a couple thousand acres of forest and you get off the path, it's kind of a big deal. You follow what I'm saying here? Now, some people think that's fun. They have a problem. For me, it's full of anxiety and unrest when you get off that path. Uh, And then when you kind of retrace your steps and go, okay, I think the trail actually went here. This looked like a trail. Because when you hike, oftentimes people, they take their little routes off the trail and it begins to look like the trail. If you've been hiking, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And frequently those are not the trail. And so you backpedal and you get back on the trail. You go, why? Because you know you're going in the right direction. You have the peace of being on the right path. Even though you can't see your destination, it might be 10 miles off still. You have this subtleness in your soul, this peace in your soul. I'm walking the way I should go. To me, that's what Jesus is promising to us. That's what the angels are announcing, that you can have this right relationship with God. And as you walk in that right relationship with God and walk in the way he's ordained for you to go, following the path, being illuminated by Christ, following his ways, there's a peace then that you begin to experience because you're on the right path. See, we want sometimes circumstances to align to bring peace. We want this job to align. We want, you know, to have good health or we want, we want to have, you know, uh, a certain kind of career goal melt and all that. And then we run into something like COVID-19 and all of a sudden all those things are getting, they get chucked out the window and our whole culture is full of anxiety and unrest, including many people in God's church. Why? Because we were placing the hope of our peace in the wrong place. We were, pl- we were placing that hope of peace into a destination or an achievement or whatever. And those points kind of things, those those, those, those destination kind of things, they don't bring you peace. It's evidenced by the fact that they're so quickly removed and then you're a person of unrest. Where do we find our peace? That we're on the path. Amen? And I'm following Jesus no matter what. I'm going through this thing, but I'm on this path. I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't know what's going to happen in culture. It's full of turmoil around me, but I'm on this path. I'm on this light of illumination from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm walking. That's where peace is found. Amen? We have to quit thinking pieces about a a certain set of circumstances or destination. I'm going to tell you something. The older I get, the more I know that never works out. Have kids. They never work out the way you think they are. Are you going to be continual unrest about that? Are you going to be continually full of anxiety because your little girl, your little boy isn't turning out the way they should? Or are you going to say, I'm going to walk this path with you, Jesus. I'm going to trust them into your care, Jesus. Amen? It's a different way of getting your peace. My soul burns with you to get this this morning because I think so many in the Christian community are experiencing anxiety and unrest simply because they don't understand. You're not called to this kind of point of destination of peace. You're called to walk in a path that results in peace. And that path is to follow Jesus hard no matter what. And when you start experiencing unrest, chances are you've gone off the path. Amen? And what you need to do is you need to get back on the path. And then that peace comes back to you again. Now, there's a departing promise of peace that Jesus gives to us. Peace is a big deal. 
We see that the announcement of the birth of Jesus is amplified by the angelic host saying it. And then when Jesus is about to depart, he's about to return to heaven, he gives this departing promise of peace. When Jesus was about to depart to heaven, he promised peace to his followers. Now listen to what he says in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives to you, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace, as I mentioned last week, it's listed among Galatians 5, along with joy and love, as part of the fruits of the Spirit. And every Advent season, we celebrate love, joy, and peace. We're celebrating, basically, the first three fruits of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus makes his departing promise. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Well, how do we actually have this imparted to us? By the person of the Holy Spirit. Christ said, it's good that I go to heaven, that I leave you, because when I go to heaven, I'm going to send one to live right inside you, the Holy Spirit. And you know what? The Holy Spirit brings this promise of Jesus to pass in our lives. He brings to us then love and joy and peace. That's how this promise of Jesus is fulfilled in us. And so what we have to understand is that there's this importance of peace. It's so important that Jesus' ministry is bookended with a promise of peace. There's the announcement of the angels that you can have peace, and we can see that. The way we have that peace is not so much as getting to a desired set of circumstances as much as understanding that Christ has put us on the pathway of peace. By following him, we're on this path. That's where the peace is. And not only that, he says, when I depart from you, I'm not going to fill you with the person of the Holy Spirit. And being in relationship with God like this and being in right relationship with God like this, then that Holy Spirit within you is going to bring a peace to you that will frequently surpass your own human understanding. Amen? And this is how we experience peace. I love what Romans chapter 5 says. Verse 1 tells us and promises us. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace is achieved not by desired circumstances, not by desired outcomes, but by being in right relationship with our, our, our God through Jesus Christ. Then we walk this path that Jesus has ordained for us. And as we do so, we can count on the promise that we're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. And part of the benefit of being filled with the person of the Holy Spirit is that he will bring love and joy and peace into our lives at times that we just go, where'd that come from? Because I know I can't do that myself. Amen? How about you? So I want to ask you an engagement uh, question and, and encourage you to take an engagement exercise with me today. What's causing you to be afraid and have a disturbed heart? What's causing you to experience stress and anxiety? Chances are you've walked off the path. You've taken things upon yourself you're not supposed to worry about. Just today, I had a conversation with, with some out here, and we were talking about some stressful things that are going on in life. And I said to them something that my wife said to me at one point when I was overwhelmed with stress. Any of you ever been overwhelmed with stress? And I remember my, my dear wife saying to me, Steve, quit. I said, quit? What do you mean? Just give up. I said, what? Quit. Give up. You can't solve it. Just give it to God and quit. It sounds bizarre. And it was the best advice I think I ever received in my life about something that was going on that I couldn't handle. 
She said, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to solve it all. You know, I'm over here in the weeds, but I tell you what, I'm way over here. I'm in the bushes. I'm in the thorn bushes. I'm way off the path of peace. I'm so stressed. I'm not sleeping that night. I'm worried about something going on. And none of that. Who by worry can add a single hour to their life? Amen. I quoted that verse to myself a thousand times when I'm over there in the thorn bushes. And that day I quit. And I just said, I can't do this, Jesus. I don't have the constitution to worry like this. This isn't helping anything. And my wife's right, and I quit. And right then, I walked right back on that path. And I said, I'm going to follow hard after you, Jesus. I'm going to trust this situation into your perfect care. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will do works I can't do, and then he'll bring a peace to my heart that I don't have right now. And I think a lot of you guys are going through those same kinds of things. Amen? You need to get in the path today. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you need to just trust God. And then that's where peace comes. So, response, admit it, whatever it is. Pray for it. Pray the peace of Jesus be reality you're experiencing, the path that you stay on. So now as we close out the service today, um, and we're going to sing a song in a moment here, we're going to light our fourth Advent candle, frequently called the peace candle. We realize this, that Jesus' life and ministry is bookended with this message of peace. The angels announced peace on those on whom God's favor rests. And it was a huge announcement heralded by many angels, right? And then as Jesus departed to go to heaven, he promised, my peace I leave with you. And how did he leave that peace with us? By the person of the Holy Spirit, amen? By the person of the Holy Spirit being in us. And so today as we light this last candle here uh, before the Christ candle, we rejoice that we're the recipients of the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to pray for this peace that I've talked about today to be a reality for all of us to experience. I pray that, uh, first of all, we receive that announcement of the angels in the context it was given. It's a peace on whom your favor rests, Lord. And we know that that favor is achieved by receiving Christ as our Savior. Then we become favored and we can walk on this path of peace. We can walk in the middle of this troubled world knowing that you're with us, Lord, that you're leading and guiding us, Lord. We don't often see the destination of the path we're on. We often don't see the final outcome of our life. We, don't, we just don't know that stuff. We choose at this moment, Lord, just to stay on the path and to walk in you, realizing that's where we experience peace. And we thank you, Jesus, that when you departed, you said, I don't leave you as orphans. I'm going to send one to live inside you, the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we, we invite you today, come into our hearts and bring a peace that surpasses understanding to our lives. And we know that that peace is by being in right relationship with the God. We know that's where that comes from, Holy Spirit. But we pray that you would just bring that fruit in our hearts. Bring the fruit of love, joy, and peace into our hearts this Christmas season, we pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this peace. Even though the world is so troubled, we don't have to be. Thank you for that. And may we become, as, as Pastor Dave was talking about, peacemakers, Lord. So wherever we go, we don't bring a vague kind of let's just get along kind of thing. We bring the knowledge of you, Jesus, the fragrance of you, Jesus, into every situation we find ourselves in because that's where peace is found. And that's the way only, only way peace can be achieved. So thank you, Jesus. We exalt you and we worship you this day. In your name, amen.